Hi, this is Tom Field, Vice President of Editorial with Information Security Media Group, talking with Tom Kellerman, Vice President of Cybersecurity with Trend Micro. Tom, it's good to see you again. Good seeing you. Welcome to London. Last time we spoke, we were at RSA conference in San Francisco. We're talking about targeted attacks. We're talking about DDoS, specifically with financial institutions in the U.S. We're in the U.K. now, in Europe. What are some of the attack vectors here that most have your interest? In the U.K. right now, targeted attacks as it relates to DDoS are flourishing, but that's not the primary concern of the constituency here. I think the constituency is well aware right now that hackers are using what's called island hopping to attack trusted third parties to therein leapfrog into their primary systems. And there's a consciousness and an awareness here of that systemic risk. This is also exacerbated with the fact that here in the UK, you're seeing a, a robust growth in not just mobile attacks, but attacks upon applications and portals, uh, otherwise known as watering hole attacks, where in your trusted web portal and your application that you've built has been polluted or infested by some adversary who's now targeting your entire customer base and your employee user base. And what I'm hearing, Tom, is it's not sort of the on-the-fringe sites that we used to hear about. These are well-respected, small to mid-sized organizations that are being taken advantage of with drive-by exports. Concur. Uh, not only are these well-respected organizations, but there's a real concept of supply chain risk. And many of us in the U.S. have solely focused on hardware and hardware uh, root kits and backdoors and hardware as it relates to supply chain risk. But we're dealing with this virtual supply chain risk now, which is also exacerbated by this migration to cloud-based services, uh, whether they be hybrid, whether it's just virtual desktops. Um, the, the fact that essentially you, you enter into relationships with contracts that are merely service-level agreements that put limited liability on the part of the third party, regardless of their reputation, but an over-reliance on encryption therein to protect you from the fact that they're probably being hunted and targeted by your adversaries so as to leapfrog or island hop into you. Um, I would challenge everyone to have this conversation with your general counsel. Uh, take your general counsel to lunch. Uh, he or she should be well aware that you need to evolve your contracts with these third parties to instill a modicum of security therein. The SAS 70 is not sufficient when dealing with this type of systemic risk. Tom, what's the technology, technology vulnerability that the criminals are taking advantage of? Right now you're seeing, well, from the watering hole attack perspective, there's, there's vulnerabilities in Apache that are being widely exploited, but you're also just seeing in general from the watering hole perspective, exploitation, SQL injection, cross-site scripting used to insert themselves and embed themselves in websites and the applications built for mobile apps, uh, which are also, like many websites, vulnerable to these types of attacks. But in general, you're seeing an overt push towards attacking the browser. Um, the reason why Java Zero Days are flourishing beyond the obvious is the fact that they allow you to leverage cross-platform attacks across different OSs. In addition to that, they allow you to insert yourself into the authentication mechanism for the VPN that's running through the browser that traditionally is used for the mobile device to communicate with your hybrid cloud or private cloud ecosystem. It's the Man in the browser attacks, the, the automation of those types of attacks, the, the use of various modules and various attack kits like Phoenix, Exploit Kit, and Citadel that are empowering the criminals to move into this space. I would also recommend everyone to be conscious that it's not just uh, organized crime in nation states. You're seeing an overt evolution of criminality right now to utilize this uh, 
these capabilities, these widely available capabilities, and you're seeing literally the underground marketplace for attack code, bulletproof hosts, encrypted command and control, leveraging itself into menu-like services where you're paying less than $600 to be fully capable in this environment. It's a good business model. It's a great business model, but the problem here is obvious that there's an economy of scale that's been developed. And in addition to that, this is hacking for services mentality where now and then there's an arms bazaar of capabilities that not only allow you to hack things, but launder the proceeds, maintain a bulletproof host, and, and sell the intellectual property itself. So two questions for you about responding to this. One, what's the technology solution or technology solutions that will help to mitigate these risks? I don't think there's a solution out there in the marketplace, forgive me for saying it, for browser security that is effective in combating the man-in-the-browser attacks that I'm describing. I think that is the number one need in the cybersecurity industry right now is for a greater R&D on how to create a more secure browser experience. Um, that being said, um, I think that many organizations now are trying to be cognizant of what's inside of them. Much of the conversations that I'm having here in the UK, which are different from the ones that I have in the US, is uh, we know we're already compromised. Something exists within us now, and they really want to move away from, as I said this before, the fortress mentality to more of a prison mentality. How can I make the adversary more resource constrained? How can I be aware of how the adversary is moving laterally within my ecosystem? How can I understand when the adversary is, is not only escalating privileges, but um, exfiltrating credentials? So those are technology answers. But we need to have cultural solutions, really, before we can get there. You talk about the notion of building better prisons. Just have laws before you can have prisons. What are some of the areas that we need to explore legally and culturally to really crack down on this sort of shadow economy that exists? So the shadow economy itself is supported by a three-legged stool. There's the alternative payment channels that launder the funds. There's the bulletproof hosts that provide the capability and the storage for stolen assets in command and control. And then there's the hacking services. If you can undermine the reputation of these entities, whether uh, through the purposes of undermining their, their street credits, per se, in the community so that the community turns in on itself, or if you create a standard of care or due diligence for the alternative payment channels, I think you know your constituency, the financial sector as a whole, they should be cognizant that they're losing their retail customer base to these alternative payment channels. And these very same alternative payment channels are being used to launder the funds associated with the bank heists that are going on in cyberspace. It is in the financial sector's best interest from a public policy perspective to have the alternative payment channels regulated like they are or disbanded as a whole. And to that point, if there was an electronic forfeiture law that existed in the signatory countries of the Budapest Convention, you could actually forfeit those electronic assets from these nefarious entities and use that to fund cyber-critical infrastructure projects around the world. That's one. Realistically, I think what they're doing in the UK vis-a-vis -vis the new Data Protection Act, where they're actually putting criminal penalties on, for criminal negligence on folks who have been hiding behind plausible deniability for too long, I think it's important. Look, those of you who are actually listening to this, you're serious about security. You care. But you know many of your colleagues, you know many of people in your peers who are just happy collecting a paycheck and going through the motions. We can't go through the motions anymore.
I'm glad you mentioned the Data Protection Act. That's due to be enacted in 2014. Yes. What difference is that going to make in the cultural attitude within information security organizations? It's a dramatic step forward to, for the UK to align with the EU Data, Data Privacy Act. It is a dramatic step forward to create true penalties to manifest behavioral change. Um, I think the only real thing we've seen significance similar to this in the U.S. was the recent announcement by seven financial institutions that they had suffered material risks associated with cyber this past year. Uh, I commend and applaud those financial institutions for coming out and saying that. For those organizations who have yet to come forward, they should recognize that now that that motion has been, uh, how that's been set in motion right now has created an environment where Expect any day now for the SEC to actually begin to penalize people who have not accepted the reality that material risk is impacted by cyber. And the repercussions in, in Europe? Dramatic. Serious penalties. Serious penalties. And I'm hoping we get to a point where we treat cyberspace as more than just a traditional IT issue, but as a risk management issue with a systemic context. And the construct is such that we need to respect that cloud computing is not only exacerbating that phenomenon, but it's also a great opportunity, a fresh start per se, for us to begin to manage that type of cascading and systemic risk appropriately by not over-relying, let's say, on one technology like encryption or another. Tom, that's great insight. Thank you so much for your time today. Thank you very much for interviewing me. Welcome to London again.